This is Nolan Financial Radio with Tara Nolan from Tara Nolan Advisory Services. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Tara provides her clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is Nolan Financial Radio with Tara Nolan. Hello, and welcome to Nolan Financial Radio. I'm Tara. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to be sharing some uh, little bits from our book, Money Moves, that you can get on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Nobles and also at our website, www.nolanfinancialpartners.com slash money moves. So if you are a new time listener, this is not the normal format of the show. I normally do with my amazing co-host, Tony Shore. But we thought that we would intersperse throughout the uh, the rest of the year Chris and I having some discussion about the chapters from the book because, you know, we put a lot of work into it and uh, we thought you might like some of the background to go, how did we come up with those ideas or those thoughts? And so we're going to have a little fun today. So, but for those of you who are new to the show, I would ask you to visit our website, www.nolanfinancialpartners.com. Click on the radio page while you're there. And you can go back and listen to all the past shows. We record all these shows. This show, if you haven't listened to it, it's about education. And our goal after every show is that you've picked up some little nugget, some little light bulb moment that helps you make your world just a little bit better. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to the show on pot. It's anywhere podcasts are playing, Apple, Google Play, Spotify. And then you can become a regular listener, which is awesome as well. And also, I'll just make it clear for everybody, as we're going through the show, if something sparks your interest, you can give Chris and I a call at 719-210-4242 to set up a complimentary discovery call, or we we can do it face-to-face or virtually. You know, the pandemic has made us very flexible that way. So we're going to get into today, chapter two, and this chapter really focuses on financial myths that limit your wealth. And, you know, one of the con we felt it was really important to have a discussion pretty early in the book about the financial myths. Right. Because the thing about myths is there's a little bit of truth in all of them. Right. You know, I mean, Chris, how does that how does that hit you? Well, yeah, because um, it's it's amazing the amount of uh, myths that we that I had uh, growing up from my parents because they grew up in a in a different financial reality than than I'm living in. And so then there's uh, also just the myth about surrounding everything that we do that I learned that my my parents told me uh, to get me to stop doing something or start doing something. They just made it up. They just people just make things up to motivate people. And they're not myths that sometimes are hurtful, but they're they're not true. So. Yeah. So this, this chapter, this is one of my favorite chapters and it's great to happen, but I have to just share with you this, this little story about the chapter. So for anyone out there listening, I I don't know if you watch Apple TV, there's a show called mythic quest and it's like a sitcom comedy. And if you haven't seen the show, just imagine it's, it's something making fun of like software programmers, you know, they're, they write video games and they kind of sit around on their beanbag chairs and, and have conversations. But, uh, you know, the first line in chapter two, I start with, according to Dr. Brene Brown, a research professor at the University of Houston Graduate College of Social Work, 
Shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. But the, the thing is, is my little brother, when he was reading my book, apparently he's a big fan of Mythic Quest. And that's one of their running jokes on the show always is as they're sitting around having their little staff <laughs> meetings, they go, well, according to Dr. Brene Brown, and then you can fill in the blank there with the joke. <laughs> so I have unintentionally taken my serious quote from Dr. Brene Brown, who I love, <laughs> and it's become a joke on Mythic Quest on Apple TV. So. You know, there's, there's no matter, no matter how good your intentions are, <laughs> but uh, there, something I learned in pilot training, one of my instructors told me that in his family, they had kind of a rule that nothing was too mean as long as it was funny. And, and, and that story happened because we were, we were flying out for one of our training flights and we went to have lunch and he wouldn't eat. And he's like, no, my kids have been calling me Mr. Fats. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so, so we had to, we had to learn that lesson, but, uh, <laughs> but now let's get into it. So I have four myths that I talk about in chapter two, and we're just going to kind of go through and we're going to do an, a little discussion on each one. I can't go into all the detail, but these are the myths. So just kind of listen up and just see for yourself if, if any of these things kind of ring true. And again, you know, the hard part about a myth is there is a grain of truth in it. And so that's why we always encourage you. It's great to sit down with professional advisor to go, okay, here's what you're doing. And this much of what you're doing is really working, but let us educate you about some other options that may help make your plan work a little bit better. So this first one is myth number one, the stock market will make you rich. So you know, have you ever been at work and had someone tell you a story like, Chris, what's a good story you've heard fairly recently about the stock market? Oh, so um, I invested in uh, the stock and uh, it, it was Tesla and I invested in it back in 2005. And then I, it was $50 a share and now it's $1,000 a share. Okay, well, how many people got to do that? Well, did that make them rich or did it just give them some money that they moved somewhere else? And then when they spread it around in the stock market, they have lost it over the last year. So they don't, they always talk about the ups. They never talk about the downs uh, at the water cooler, right? Whenever you're sitting around and uh, chatting with your buddies at work or, or, or whatever you're doing, uh, people don't like to, uh, to, to bring up their shame to kind of go back to Brene Brown. They don't, uh, they don't want to bring up the shame of losing money in the market. They always talk about the good times in the market. You know, and that's one of the things I think it's pretty funny because once people, when I meet new people and they find out that I, I'm a wealth advisor and I help people achieve and retain the lifestyle they want, they're like, okay, so, so what, what stock should I buy? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I almost laugh at this point because that is such a, um, a technical question that has nothing to do with creating wealth because just picking a stock here or there in the market, that's gambling and uh, uh, creating real wealth is about looking at your finances holistically and making sure you have protection in place and making sure that you have the right stuff in the market that's going to grow. So I wanted to just take that step for those of you who haven't heard it before, but just, just a reminder, you know, how did the stock market come about? So it really kind of started back in the 1600s with um, the Dutch East India Company. And just it was a thing where people were trying to start their businesses 
and they needed to raise money. And that was back before the internet and telephones. And, and how does a, you know, someone's got a great idea, but they need that money to get it off the ground. And so that's in the 1600s. That was the way it was started. This idea that we'll sell shares in a company basically saying, Hey, you know, give us some money. We'll get the company started. And then as it it grows in value, then your shares will grow in value and you'll get paid back. And so that started in the 1600s. Then you just fast forward to today and obviously the world has become very connected and there are lots and lots of companies. And so what's actually happened is there's different um, trading platforms all over the world. You know, they have them in London and China and India and America because essentially it just the, the whole thing became too complicated. I mean, just think about it. It's, it's kind of like we moved on from the barter system because, you know, maybe someone had a cow that made milk and, and somebody needed some leather shoes and, and you, you know, had, uh, you know, manual labor that you were going to offer. Things just got complicated. So, you know, we created money and then the, the stock market became that way of how do we trade and invest in companies when it's, you know, maybe it's a company that's not right next to me in all over the world. So it became very complicated. And what you know, though, is if we looked at it historically from the beginning of the market, you can earn an average of about 10%. But that's looking at it over, you know, 30, 40, the history of the market. It's a very different story if you look at different segments. So like Chris, talk about how like we'd like to pull up our our calculator that has the whole history of the market and look at different segments of time. Yeah. So we, we always go back to the great depression a little bit and we look at how many years that the great depression lasted. Um, we go over that with people to make them understand that, um, you know, the market is, is, is up and it's down. Um, that's kind of how it works. And then we show how the market really climbed back fast after the down years uh, from from recession times when it's down. So we can interrogate the marketing, uh, the history of the market to kind of forecast what's going to happen in the future in the market. Now that's, you know, past performance does not preclude that we're going to have, you know, future performance, but uh, we've got um, a good, you know, what, 100 years with the stock market that we can look at to try to get an idea on, on what we can expect for returns. Now, when we look at the different indexes through time, um, those indexes will give us an idea of if we invest our money this way, this is how much money is going to come out. Um, and depending on which which uh, period of time you select to analyze, that can come out way differently. Um, <clears throat> but we so we've got to figure out the best you know, time that will be predictive for, for our time that we're going to have in retirement. And then, and then we use that, that history to, to try to develop a good indice for ourselves, a good expectation on what that market is going to produce for us for our retirement incomes. But, but even more simply, I would just say, like, if we, we grab the period, a 10 year period in the market from like 1999 to 2009, you're not, your $100,000 isn't going to do very well. But if you pick the last 10 years from, you know, 2010 to 2020, that same $100,000 is going to look a lot better. So that's the thing with the market is trying to time the market is hard. And so that's why it's so important to look at your financial life cycle. And when in your, 
your get it phase, you know, that part of your life where you're earning your money, think about that bell curve from when you're earning to when you retire, the market can go up and down and you're okay. But when you are in retirement, it becomes very much more important. Are you retired when the market is having a down period? And so that's why the stock market in and of itself is not going to make you rich. And this is one of the things that we really like to talk with people. It's almost like going to the gym and building good, good habit patterns. You know, you want to work out every day. You want to eat your green vegetables. And it's the same thing with investing is you want to make a habit pattern of investing. You know, and Chris and I were talking about it. Like, Chris, how did you talk about compounding interest is great and you want to take advantage of it, but is that really what builds your wealth? Um, no, it, it is an important part, but the most important part is savings. Because for every dollar that you put into your retirement account, that's a dollar you have in the retirement account. When we talk about return on investment, uh, we're talking about a percentage. 10% is a lot less than that. 10% of a dollar is 10 cents. A dollar is a dollar. So the, the biggest part of your retirement plan is going to be your savings always. Now that, that compounding will help, but it kind of depends a lot on when you put that dollar in um, and, and how much time you have. So if uh, they want to learn more about that and, and how uh, the market can affect their retirements, um, how do they reach us, Tara? Well, if you're interested in understanding how do you put the market as part of your overall financial plan, give Chris and I a call at 719-210-4242. That's 719-210-4242. And here's what we like to do is you're going to invest and work with people that you trust. And part of that trust building comes with education and understanding. And so we think the market definitely is a part of your plan and it's going to depend on your age, like how, how vested in the market you are. And what we do though, is we're going to make recommendations and look at it. We talk about the strategy first. We look at the big picture, make sure that's tied in with what you want, and then we'll back it up with the numbers. And so we like to do that though, but you can't, if you start with the numbers, that's a hard place to start. You got to understand right. what are we working towards? And so that number seven one nine. 2104242 if you really want to sit down and do that complimentary discovery call and get that second opinion that what you're doing is maximizing your financial potential because what we hate to see are people that we could look at and go oh if you would have just changed what you're doing a little bit you could have made this big different outcome so that was financial myth number 1 was the stock market will make you rich that's a myth. The stock market is a tool that can help, but it's not going to make you rich. Myth number two, the stock market is the economy. And this was one of those ideas that really, once I heard it, it made complete sense, but it was just like, whoa, because I mean, how often you, you turn on the radio and you hear the little music and it's the Dow Jones industrial average is up or down. And does that drive your day? If you have all of your money in the market, you really listen up to that. <laughs> and what we try to do with our clients is we really try to create a plan for them that they don't have to worry about what the Dow Jones Industrial Average is doing today because they have balance and they know that when the market's down, they're going to make different decisions. And then when the market's up, they're going to take advantage of that. But let's just talk about that for a minute because, I mean, you hear about it and it's confusing because politicians talk about it all the time. You know, well, look at the stock market. Things are great. But um, have you ever had that experience where you're hearing on the news, the stock market is going like gangbusters and you're like, I, I don't feel like I'm any doing any better. 
And, (laughs) and I mean, that's true, right? I mean, so Chris, can you explain that? So why, why does the market tend to do really well when the economy is kind of slow? Well, when the economy is slow, here's, here's my theory and some theories I've, I've read about is that when the economy is slow, um, the people that have expendable monies, right? Monies that they don't need to live on. They put their money into the market. And so it becomes a supply and demand. There aren't companies out there trying to do startups when the economy is slow, when job rates are low, there people aren't uh, investing in new businesses. So they put their money into the more established businesses that are market is in the market, right? Established businesses are in the market. New businesses are not in the market yet. So when uh, the jobless rate goes down and the economy is not, maybe doesn't look, you know, is looking better, the, the market might, might reduce a little bit because money will move into new businesses and new businesses can create uh a lot more money for, you know, those, what we call the angel investors that, that do invest in those, but they have enough money to invest in many startups and new businesses and small businesses that may give them a lot of profit. So that's when the economy is up is when that small business and uh, that those angel investors are investing at the lower levels when they're putting money into large established businesses that's just a supply and demand of money uh, for the stock markets themselves, right? So there's so many companies in the stock market. If more money moves into it, then the price of those, uh, the value, the the not the real value, but the perceived value of those companies is going to go up, and the stock market prices for those companies go up. So it's really important to understand that a plan is very personal. So there's large things that you'll hear on the radio about the market is doing this the market's doing that, but it doesn't necessarily have a direct impact on you. So I, you know, in the book, I have a, um, a graph <clears throat> that looks historically at the ups and downs of the market. And you can find these, you know, if you, if you're like to do your own research, but three key points in time, like the 1930s was the great depression and the market was down. And then six to 18 months later, the biggest recovery, biggest up the market had ever had. Same thing happened in 1973 and 74 when we had the oil crisis. The market was really low. And then about six to 18 months later, one of the highest recoveries we ever had. And then in 2008 with the housing crash, market dropped way down. And then a few years later, it bounced back. And so what it's really important to understand about the market is Almost historically, after every huge crash that we've had, about six to 18 months later, we have this wild recovery. And so here's why it's important to you as a personal investor is when we have those big drops like the Great Depression or the oil crisis or the housing crash, it's terrifying. And if you don't have a plan, you finally you watch your accounts drop and drop and drop until you reach the point where you can't take it anymore. And then you pull your money out. And what happens is then when the market has that huge recovery, you miss out on it because you couldn't take it anymore and you pulled your money out. So it's like you get hit twice. So it's just really important to understand that the market is not your personal economy. 
And so while we use the market as a tool and we definitely have a lot of our people invested in the market because it does earn about 10% historically. And, and we look for, you know, we always plan for more conservatively than that. I'm always okay with my client's money doing better, but I like to be very realistic about what expectations are. So the market is a tool that we use, but it's not your economy. And so um, there's no reason why you would understand that because it's not taught in school, but that's a myth that we all grow up with. And it's just a myth that you hear on the news all the time. You know, here's the Dow Jones, you know, the Dow Jones is up. Your life should be good. What are you complaining about? (laughs) And so, so that's, that's a really, uh, key thing. And so for anyone who's listening right now that has all of their money in the market, definitely give Chris and I a call at 719-210-4242. That's 719-210-4242. If you really want to sit down and take a look and go, am I using the market correctly as a tool to help me? Or do I just have all my money in the market and I'm just got my fingers crossed that it's going to work for me? And, and I just, I like to use the market as a tool but if you use it with intention and understanding, it works a lot better. Right. So myth number three that we want to talk about is you should take your social security as early as possible huh. before they run out. How many people, <laughs> how many people have heard that, that you want to take that social security as soon as you can before, before it runs out. And uh, so let's just, uh, Chris, why don't you remind everybody pretty quickly about you know, what was Social Security initially designed to do? Well, it was initially designed to keep uh, uh, elderly people from starving to death. So it was just m- meant as a subsistence uh, level of uh, funds so that somebody that had not uh, been a participant in a defined uh, pension plan uh, maybe a widower. So, cause a lot of women didn't work back when they instituted social security, they could have a regular income that would, would, uh, help them out. That's, that's how it went for my, my grandmother. Um, her husband died when he was in his fifties. So my grandfather and he, um, had not been vest, got invested in a, a retirement plan. He was a, a teacher. So he would have been, but he died before he could. And so uh, she got re- social security and that was her largest income uh, from, from anything uh, once she reached social security age. But that was started in 1935 by president Roosevelt. And that's the exact scenario is keeping elderly people from starving to death because like, unfortunately for Chris's grandmother, her, her husband passed before he was able to get a retirement and, you know, she was a stay at home mom and took care of the kids. And so she was kind of left in the lurch later in life. And so that was really what Social Security was designed for. But a lot of people have this idea that, you know, Social Security is running out and there, you know, there's always plenty of uh, media always likes to pick up on the scary stories and talk about how things are going to implode and and do all that. But um, so you can take Social Security early right now at age 62 or they have what they call your full retirement age. And that's kind of based on when you were born. It tends to be around 67 in a few months right now. And then the latest age you can take Social Security right now is 70. So there's kind of this window, like you can take it early, on time or late. So kind of like Goldilocks, (laughs) take it a little early, right on time or a little late. But the thing is, is when you take it early, that locks you in at a lower rate. 
And so, and once you start it, you're locked in at the lower rate and it never goes up. If you take it at your full retirement age, then that's when you're going to get the, the amount that you can go on to socialsecurity.gov and you can see what your rate is right now. And that's based on a formula for how much you've paid in and worked over the years. So we do talk with a lot of, um, women, especially that have taken time out of the workforce to raise the kids and then they come back in that they can still recover and, and get that social security. And then if you wait until you're 70, the amount that you get continues to go up. So that's definitely, you know, it's a rule of thumb. So I can't look at you or can't tell you over the radio, here's what you should do. But if you take it early, you're going to lock yourself in at a lower rate. If you take it later, you're going to lock yourself in at a higher rate. So one of the key things that we like to look at is how long does your family live? Something really important about uh, Social Security is it has a cost of living adjustment in retirement. So this past year, there was a 5.9% uh, raise on Social Security for that cost of living adjustment. It's set by the government. And, and so they, they do it each year. The expected uh, cost of living adjustment for this coming year is, is might be around 8%. So to have a cost of living adjustment on something, uh, if it's low when you started at 62, it's going to be a lot, 8% change on something when you're 70 is a lot different number. So, so that's, these are all the different kind of factors that we like to look into because there, a decision can seem like it's black or white, but then if you understand more of the details and looking into it, it, it starts to get uh, more complex. And that's one of the things, like when you're doing it yourself, the only person you've ever planned a retirement for is yourself. So you've taken care of one person versus Chris and I, we do six to 10 of these a day. So we're looking at a lot of different scenarios. So we are very good at seeing a lot of the potential pitfalls and helping you fill in those gaps and holes. So that's, you know, that's really what we love to do and we love to take care of it. So we're just not going to have time today to get to the fourth myth. The fourth myth is you'll need less money in retirement. So if you think that you're going to need less money in retirement, I would definitely encourage you to pick up a copy of the book. And, you know, the book is written very, it's not written like a, uh, a financial how-to book. It's got some stories in it and gives you some easy examples so that you can wrap your head around the ideas. But this, if you think that you're going to need less money in retirement, go to Amazon.com or Barnes and Nobles or go to our website, www nolanfinancialpartners.com slash money dash moves and pick up a copy of the book because if you think that you're going to need less money in retirement i have a lot of clients you know chris how many people have walked in the door said i'm going to live on forty thousand dollars a year oh, man. <laughs> and we very quickly explain why you need about 30 percent more than that <laughs> and good news is is you can you're going to yeah. be okay People really have a very big misconception between how much they're actually going to need and how much they think that they're going to need. Right. And, and if you're one of those people, please pick up the book, read it, get yourself asking some better questions. So I think that does it for today's show. The, the, the big takeaway that I would like you to think about is that there are financial myths that were out there. You grow up with them. You come by them honestly. And the yeah. best thing you can do right now is to go, oh, do I have a myth or is that true? <laughs> and, and just make sure that you're making the best decisions that are going to help you reach your maximum financial potential. So again, if you have, have a question or you want to set up a discovery call, give Chris and I a call at 719-210-4242. And in the meantime, have a wonderful rest of your day. 
Join us soon for another episode of Nolan Financial Radio. Take care and we'll talk with you next time. Everybody have a great week. Thank you for listening to Nolan Financial Radio. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Tara Nolan at Tara Nolan Advisory Services. Call 719-210-4242 or visit the website at TaraEnolan.com. Tara Nolan and Tara Nolan Advisory Services are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. All matters discussed during this show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation.